0: This is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Thanks to DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. Good to have your company on the Sounding Board for DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. Craig Hutchison in Sydney, as he is every single fortnight in 2021. I'm here in Melbourne. Hutchie, hello. Welcome. Hello, Damo. I can tell by the quality of your audio that you're in your palatial
1: temporary home in Brighton, which the insurance company are paying for because the voice is echoing off those kind of uh, cricket pitch-like corridors that you're living in there in Brighton while your neighbours scrambling to try and work out how he's going to make a hole on the water damage in your house in Middle Park. So we'll do the best we can. I know it's going to echo around the cauldrons of the house, but uh, nice to see you down the line on Microsoft Teams. And uh, great to be back for Drinkwise. You won't miss a moment if you drink wise.
0: Um, yes, fair, fair point, Hasey. Apologies to our listeners for this uh, this echo, if indeed it is echoing. It sounds okay for me. Um, tell me, are you going to be appearing in a major newspaper publication this weekend? I know the answer to this question. I just want to see how far you want to go with this conversation. I believe so, Yes. Yes, yes. I think the answer to that question is yes. Might it be the uh, the very, very significant, prominent, uh, talented, brilliant Conrad Marshall, who may have spent uh, several hours, maybe dozens of hours with you in the past X amount of uh, days and months in the lead up to putting his very significant name to an article about your good self in the age. Good weekend this weekend. Uh, I would think you're going to have a field day with this on the weekend, so not only in the... A relatively
1: cheesy photo shoot that I've done that will support this that will probably get you through till Christmas. But also I'd suspect there's a few grenades my way from people who've contributed to it, so which you can't really avoid these days in life, I guess. So uh yeah, I don't want to um go too far into it, but I I did agree to do it so a year ago and uh it's it's come to roost around this time. So I, I can't imagine it'll be a puff piece demo. I think it'll be a fairly Rigorous. It was quite a confronting process. I'll talk a bit more about it in detail next week, but it was a confronting type process to relive a bit of the journey along the way. But uh, we'll see what happens. So I'm glad you've taken good
0: amusement from it? No, it, it's come to me a, a couple of different ways, one one very unusual way, actually, during the course of the week, but I, I thought it was going to be a real puff piece and a um, look at me, 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 but you're, you're telling us here, and I understand you can't delve too deeply into the contents, given it's not yet published, but uh, you're saying that it's not necessarily all about you in a positive light. Is that what you're alluding to here?
1: Well, he's a, he's a very uh, rigorous and independent and obviously outstanding journalist, Conrad, who's won a lot of awards, so um humbled to even be asked a few questions along the way. And, yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it's a bit of risk-reward when you do these things, isn't it? So it's not really my cup of tea, but we'll have a look and, and, and see how it plays out. Yeah. Why don't
0: we talk a bit more about it next week? Uh, I'll let you off in a minute. Just tell me, I don't think this is giving up anything. What what can we expect to see by way of the the photos for this article? Were you on the beach? Were you all in I, the lounge room? Were you with one of the dogs? What Where were you? All, all I'd say is... Pretty much every bit of advice I'd give
1: anyone else on what to do in these photo shoots, I've ignored and just played (laughs) along and had a laugh at myself. So uh, I I can't imagine it's going to be anything other than a month of people taking the mickey out of me, which um, I've kind of got my head around and I'm ready for. So sooner it's over and done with
0: the better day, mate, to be honest. It's it's actually – I'm actually now feeling very jealous of – of Liam Pickering because he's going to get first crack at this. Clearly, it's going to be published Saturday morning. Your show with him is going to be the first cab off the I, rank for that. But I can... <laughs> rest assured, whatever he doesn't get to, I will mop up on next week's The Sounding Board. I can make a case for taking
1: Saturday off and next week's Sounding Board off. I reckon about three weeks is what I'm going to need to, to outlive this and I'm sure there'll be some stuff in there that you'll find a little bit Did you contribute to it? Can I, I know he rang around and asked a few people some things. Did, were you one of those he asked questions of and did you speak nicely um, of me or poorly of me?
0: I, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm giving up anything here in saying no. I, I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't asked to, and, and as such, I can talk openly about it right now. I, no, I wasn't asked. No. So uh, I'm keen to see who was. You were sort maybe, for maybe a I fun- would have been too. I would have been too positive. Maybe Hachi. You
1: were sought for a photo, I think. Didn't you provide a photo of the two of us overseas or something?
0: There was a request for that. I did find I did find one that actually Brad Blanks took of you and I many years ago riding bikes around New York. It might have been oh the day goodness. you fell off the bike in New, New York, got, actually. This has got whiskers written all over it. But anyway, we'll get through the week.
1: Hey, um, just quick, quick postscript on last week. Got a lot of serious stuff to get through, but the postscript of last week, when we went off air last week, Nick McKenzie was toasting the room at Crown Casino after his win, taking down Crown and, and winning the award at Crown um, – saluted by Crown in Crown Flute. So when we went off air, he was collecting that award last week. Just a very quick update on Nick McKenzie. Turns out among the prizes for the Journalist of the Year was, you wouldn't believe it, Demo, a week in the yes. Crown Casino Villas uh, and $500 <laughs> of punting vouchers, which was in the yeah. uh, devil of the detail. He didn't realise he got back to his uh, his suite at Crown and he realised that he had won, in fact, a week's a common in the Villas. He had nothing on, so he went downstairs the next morning and he cashed it in immediately and stayed the oh. next week. So he spent the whole last week in Crown toasting his award at Crown for winning the award for taking down Crown. Um, also, too, apparently overdid the buffet, so management saw him in the morning going back for serving after serving of dumpling. Uh, the $500 betting voucher turned into six or 7000 on the tables. He was sharing chips in the end with other journalists. And uh, walking around with a dressing gown, having a good time, in the, and having meetings in the waiting room on the investigations uh, upcoming. So uh, the uh, headache continued for the uh, execs at Crown over the last week. But well done again to the uh, to Winx. Nick McKenzie, you had a great win. <laughs>
0: And, and for those who didn't catch it, it, it's the very last five minutes of uh, last week's episode, which would have been Series 6, Episode 9. It is worth your while, if you haven't heard it last week, to to go back and just listen to Craig Hutchison, get himself into sportsman's night mode in, in that very clean way and just absolutely tear apart the, uh, the, the irony that he found in Nick McKenzie bringing down Crown Casino across the country, accepting the award yet again as Best Journalist of the Year at a Crown Casino function in the Palladium. That's uh, episode nine of of series six for those who who missed
1: it. In all seriousness, too, good on Crown for being good sports enough to actually host those awards, given what they've been through at the subject of the media in the past year. Hey, before we get into a, a few other topics, I want to get your view on the burning journalistic issue of the week, and that has been the column in the AFR last week by Aaron Patrick, about Samantha Maiden, who has been the journalist at the centre of the coverage on Scott Morrison. And there was a, a detailed piece on Samantha's, I guess, journalistic career in part, background, some behind-the-scenes style fodder on how the, the the pressure had mounted on the Prime Minister. It was in the AFR, which is you know, not the sort of place you, you you probably expect to see columns like this, but in part... Uh, the the columnist angered uh, many women and men journalists around the country um, in the middle of the story when it talked about, and I'll try and quote this uh, properly, angry coverage that often strayed into unapologetic activism came forth from a new female media leadership, Laura Tingle and Louise Milligan of the ABC, Catherine Murphy and Amy Remikus at The Guardian, Lisa Wilkinson at Channel 10, Karen Middleton at The Saturday Paper, and a cameo by Jessica Irvine on The Nine Network, uh, the author quotes, Maiden was probably the most influential and restrained based on copious facts rather than opinion. A copy was devastating. At every step as the government tried to staunch the stories, it seemed Maiden was there with a new angle to propel them along. Um, and uh, it it dealt a little bit with the background. I Stand With Sam was the hashtag that quickly uh, reverberated inside hours. The AFR took a lot of heat for the story. It seemed to um, unite uh, many journalists on their... Um, using this as an example of another way that Canberra has been uh, kind of a bully boy town for a while. What, you've been around a long time. You've obviously um, mm. been close to political circles by family. How did you think this story read and, and, and travelled?
0: You yeah, if well, a few of our listeners uh, referred us to this article. I would have missed it otherwise. I, I went and read it like it sounds like you did, Hutchie. Um, it's a strange piece. So, again, I, I don't want to get too critical of, of the reasons why Aaron Patrick would have written it. I don't know Aaron Patrick for what it's worth. And, and I've got I'm sure that our listeners and other journalists would sometimes think, why have I done a certain article or presented a certain piece a certain way? So let me just table all of that. Um, before I say this, I thought it was a, str- a very, very strange piece. I mean, for, for another journalist to to acknowledge, as Aaron Patrick did, to, to say that Samantha Maiden's run of scoops had left the Morrison government and the Prime Minister in disarray, it's an admission that that Samantha Maiden got some stories that that no one else got, and and has put that government into a situation it had not been in and exposed to all its many flaws that we uh, we had known about. So, no, I thought it was a very strange piece. It went deep. It gave detail about things that I, I didn't think had any relevance. Now, again, Aaron may well have reasons for, for doing all of that. But it, it just – I didn't feel like comfortable reading it for, for what it's worth. Um, Beyond that, actually, I, I didn't have a, a major reaction to it. And, again, I wouldn't have read it had we not been alerted to it through our listeners. But but Juno's writing about other journals as to how they may get stories and and why they may get stories and and what they've done in the past I I don't guess I mean ultimately journals compete against other journals you either get the story or you don't and if you you don't and, and it's only then when you when you don't get the story that I think you find people writing about it um your take
1: I, I read it in real time so I, I was one of those that actually saw the link to it and read it and I kind of began it with high hopes to be honest I, I thought going into it, we might get a real kind of fly-on-the-wall account of the great journalism that's gone on from a bunch mm. of journalists, um, most of them women, into the Morrison government and its and its clear mishandling of the the uh, bubble that uh, has become the last month. And there's been a lot of really courageous and uh, insightful journalism in this period of federal politics, as we've talked about. So I was kind of interested to hear the behind the scenes and the background, and I, I couldn't believe. Uh, what I ran into in the middle of the story. Like, it, there were parts of it that were fair and, and, and balanced, but the suggestion of uh, the quote again, was it female activism? Uh, and to suggest that uh, the, the Higgins and Porter stories cleaved a schism through political journalism exposing a shift in the centre of gravity from the male perspective to the female. And to talk, probably more damning, talk about the personal history, mental health and school record of, of Samantha was... Outrageous! Like, how did that get through the – how did that get through the editor? Like, there was a clear story there to tell that could have been told about how – the depths and breadth of the investigative journalism, how difficult it had been to do, how much pressure it had put on those journalists in question to do so, how Scott had tried to react behind the scenes – uh, what he was referring to when he made that now famous News Limited clip that happened in real time when we were on the sounding board, I, I couldn't believe that it lurched into casting a, a dim view of one of the journalists involved and subjecting them to things that no no way that a male journalist would have been subject to. I, I I don't know whether the intent was was good and the execution was poor, or just it was just a really kind of snide piece. But it did not make any sense to me. I read the editor's defence of it; I thought it fell on deaf
0: ears. And I, I just what did the was, say? I, I didn't catch up with that part of it, Hutchie.
1: Well, the editor tried to say that uh, he, the the author was trying to shine a light on some of the great things done. I've seen the author that subsequently say that nah. Samantha should win. The and, piece wasn't um, about that, but it, it almost like it had a it had that. The author had a chip on the shoulder to get a few things off their chest. They buried it twenty five paragraphs into the story, not thinking anyone would notice. And it came across as rude, inconsiderate, unfair and tacky. Uh and not not really our style to kinda of have a crack at other journalists and I hope that's taken in the in the spirit of the, well, it's not gonna be taken in the spirit of things, but that's just how I felt reading it. I thought it was really just yeah. picked it picked off the journalists in question. And it and pass, yeah. it under it missed the yarn too. It actually missed the story. The story was, and is, just the quality of the journalism we've seen. Uh, I think the fact that there are so many leading uh, female journalists and opinionists involved in this is actually a a really part of the story. It's a great thing. We're We're seeing a different lens on Canberra. We're seeing the kind of boys club enough, you know, look after each other enough, you know, swings and roundabouts be lifted. And that's, that's part of it, right? It's actually part of the storytelling. I thought it was poor.
0: Yeah, I agree. And just to sign off on it, um, Samantha herself did respond this way. The AFR has published many lies about me, and I have accepted it in good grace because I do not believe journalists should sue. I may be prepared to change my mind over this. That was her response to that particular article. Well, I mean, a lot, uh, of her, a lot of her
1: colleagues, and
0: male and female, have, have
1: led the charge on defending uh, her and, and Samantha has maintained a dignified silence. And ultimately the quality of the journalism will win the day here because it's been, you can't, doesn't matter what your opinion is, you can't, um, and unfortunately some people have got different views, but you can't
0: um, dispute the quality of journalism that's happened in this, in this period yeah. in camera. Tell me, let's move off the AFR and, and Samantha Maiden now when we move the, the part of that conversation into the, the generic zone. What do you make of of journalists and media? And we've probably done it ourselves, Hutchie. We, we, when you miss a story, you, you, you ask yourself, why don't you? And then often the temptation is to think, oh, well, so-and-so, so-and-so clearly leaked that to, to him or her. Um, I think as, as competitive um, beast that we are as 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 news journalists, Th- that's a fair enough response to have when you do miss one. But I've got a real problem with with anyone who then goes public with oh, clearly so and so leaked that to to him or her, yeah. Um, out of spite for missing the story. I mean, uh, the journalists who who refer to someone getting a leak on something are the journalists who miss the story. No doubt, there's nothing worse. Like, and I'm I'm a
1: fair way removed from it now, but. Uh, when, when you get beaten for a story, you've got to be like a boxer getting knocked out. you just got to wear it on the chin, and you've just got to accept that you got beaten. And then if you're, if you're capable of getting up and shaking hands and acknowledging the outcome, and then you've got to go again the next day. But there's no – like what we've seen a lot of in recent years is journalists death-ride the story, so they barrack against it post that event. Um, they don't, try, don't acknowledge it. Don't acknowledge it's another tactic. They, they're the death-ride that don't acknowledge – They misattribute it and grab it in a different angle and run their own way, or they try and expose who they feel the source would have been. Um, And that's probably the worst, right? And I'm not saying that in my younger days I didn't do any or all of those things. Uh, I can't recall a specific incident, but the the honourable, in in journalism, it's it's a bit like it's a battle every day. And you can't, you know, you see so many agendas now running through these things. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, and is we, that you're we headed? play our own agendas too, don't we? We do. I mean, we'll have our own little agendas, Hutchie, which we sometimes use and and, and display on this particular program. Tell me, I've been told here, Hutchie, that you want to uh, introduce something new to our offerings yes. on the sounding board. You, you want to start a scorecard. Now, I don't know, apart from what I'm reading here on um, the Jane Neal running sheet, how this is going to play out, but I'm always keen for you with some of your new ideas.
1: This is how it's going to work, Damo. This is accountability in life of a scorecard. I suspect we're going to come back to re- regret doing this, but I'll go first. <laughs> and from next week, we're both yeah. going. All right. So it'll be ten okay. questions. It's ten questions every week. The sounding board scoreboard for Drink Wise is born. It'll be a separate drop of the podcast, but for today only, it'll be in the main body, as you'd like to say. And yeah. these are the rules, Damo. There's ten questions. You are only allowed to score the answer 1 to 10. You can't add commentary. You can't qualify it. You just have to give a number. You do, however, have two two pass words. So if you're uncomfortable about a topic, you can just say pass. And then any further interrogation of the answers provided can only be done once the 10 scores are locked in on the scoreboard. So the sounding board (laughs) scoreboard is born. We'd encourage you to send your own entries in for next week. That is the simple rule, and I will not accept any qualifying of the number given. <laughs> I'm going to let, I'll, and I'll I'll go first in the spirit of things. There's ten questions out of the ten toughest questions of the week. You ask them, I'll answer them, and
0: uh, we'll get into the swing of it. Okay, so so I'm still a little bit vague on how this is going to work out. So where it oh, says demo, it's I'm so simple. Board it's
1: demo. Code. It's so simple. Ask me the question. I'll give you a score out of ten. It's as simple as that. I don't know how you can be confused with that. That's
0: that's as simple right. as it gets. Okay. We'll go in order as, as they're in front of me. I don't even yep. know what I'm asking and how this is going to work. The vaccine rollout. Two. Handling of COVID overall. Eight. Ben Buckley reign as chairman. Five. Oh. 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 The financial review story. Two. Decision to move Q&A from Mondays. One. Leon Cameron's coaching reign. Six. (laughs) The probability of the Olympics proceeding. Eight. The chance of the Murdoch press jumping ship and supporting Labor next election. (laughs) Five. <laughs> Five? Oh, God. Booing at the footy, i.e. Isaac Smith and the Hawks. Zero. Australian Christian Lobby, will they succeed with their Let Him Play funded advertising campaign? Uh, pass. I'll use my pass on the answer. So there you go, at the end, number 10. <laughs> now, do you want me to give my 10s as
1: well? Yeah, do well, we, you want to do have, this? You, you yeah. want to go back? The, vac- the vaccine rollout oh, by a- the Australian a- government, Damo?
0: Um, one.
1: The handling of COVID overall by the Australian government.
0: Uh, uh, eight.
1: Ben Buckley's reign as chairman. Zero. Oh. The financial review story. Zero. The decision to move Q and A from Mondays. Two. Uh, Leon Cameron's coaching reign. Seven. The possibility of the probability of the Olympics proceeding? Eight. The chance of Murdoch press jumping ship and supporting Labor at the next election? Zero. The booing at the footy? One. And the Australian Christian Lobby ad campaign, Let Him Play for Israel Flair.
0: I'll pass on that because I'm, I'm not actually totally cross. I didn't know that was referring to Izzy fell
1: out. Righto. So a couple of interesting okay. ones here. You don't think there's any chance that the Murdoch press, if the if the winds blow the way of Labor, you think they'll go down with the ship with Scott?
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, be, they, it, it'd, it'd, be a, it'd be it'd be a big about-face, Hutchie, given what they've been carrying on with now for the best part of 30 years, wouldn't it? Well, I don't reckon. I reckon they've been experts at kind of shaping who's – I reckon they read the public – be They've been experts. They've called so many elections wrong. Just stop referring to them as experts. I mean, the editorials they write in the week leading into a, to an election has been proven to be ineffectual in the past X amount of elections, both <laughs> fubli, uh, public uh, – sorry, federally and state. If Scott Morrison can't
1: turn things, I mean, he's still in, in, he's still in the chair and he's still in front. But he, I think he's forty nine fifty one on the two party preferred against him. But if he can't uh, arrest this, a long way to go. But if he can't arrest this um, largely female led slide, uh, he, they, you, he, I think there's a fifty fifty bet that they could realign and cut a deal with Elbow and away they went. Uh, and you, you think, Pudgie, um,
0: Pudgie, you 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 know this better than anyone. Follow the money. Follow well, yeah, the money.
1: That, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think business, obviously, is is the thing that matters the most, right? Um, very hard on Ben Buckley, Damo. Like, it's to give up your time as a chairman is honourable in the first place. To uh, have delivered the club into a, a better financial footing and to have got it sound, you've given him a zero out of ten as chairman. I didn't design this segment to be disrespectful of people. Even I gave Leon Cameron a 6 out of 10. You've given him a, a 0. Why, why do you say that?
0: I, I don't know what he's done, Hans. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of footy clubs telling us that that we, as, as, as observers, and, and in, you can insert the word members and, and supporters here, should be grateful for having a a good balancing sheet well yes yes, it's part of it but the only thing that matters to a footy club is the is the is the win-loss column and and somewhere along the way every single club has lost that as, a, as its starting point um as one thing if you can sit here and tell me that ben buckley's been a good president or well, chairman hutchie given that he's overseen the consecutive effectively seasons um departures of of two coaches Without a process at any at any proper stage of the past two, I'm I'm just I'm just staggered that you think he's been good. I, I don't think he's,
1: I think he's been a, a pass mark. But I I, I do um, I do think you've got a blind spot to North. Like you're you're inherently hard on them. I read on the weekend you were saying on the weekend in a column I read, you you're quoted I think went off the Sunday Footy Show or off the Rub, saying North Melbourne should have rebuilt years ago. That were the things we were having fights about you and I in bars. We were arguing about this very topic three, four years ago. I was saying to you, Damo, they're stuck here. Unless they rebuild now, they're going to go down, they're going to nosedive. And you are arguing with me. You stopped a car one day, an Uber were on the way to Manhattan Beach saying... I can't deal with your opinions on North Melbourne anymore, and now I I have to read online that you're embracing my opinion. When we used to, uh, that's the only thing we've ever argued about in our lives in social life was that I was big on North Melbourne and their flawed recruiting strategy. You were vehemently defending them because you're in the tent at that stage, and now you're out of the tent. All of a sudden, you agree with me.
0: As is often the case, actually, your your recollection of and the timing around them is a little bit skew-wiff there. I was supportive of any club, any club. Forget remove North from that. Who has it? Who dares to have a crack? Which North did in 2014 and 15, when they made preliminary finals. the 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 point in the era in question was the end of 2016, when they just got rid of some club icons. Um, at that stage, and then failed at that stage to to rebuild, which is what they're now doing. And uh, I reckon the only sport, no one knows how it? that's going to play out right now. I wouldn't have
1: thought. Uh, hey, can I ask you your opinion on sports? The intersection between sports and the community and social responsibility and politics has never been more severe. It is at a really interesting yep. point, particularly in the United States, obviously, where it's it's part of the cultural um, backdrop of society. We, we saw it in full flight in the last week. So the MLB have moved the all-star game, baseball, from Georgia in part because of a change of voting uh, le- legislation that has gone through that they disapprove of and many of their players and constituents disapprove of I don't, I don't want to go into nor do I understand in full depth the degree of the voting changes but clearly they favor the republican party uh, a little bit more or and they're a little bit more stringent on uh, the community aspect of voting and it makes it it, it makes I'll, I'll do damage by trying to summarize it but anyway the voting rules have changed right Okay. They've, they've moved the game. So they said, to protest against this, uh, we've spoken to all our players and clubs and we agree we're out of here. Didn't look like the local team was too happy, the Atlanta Braves, but everyone else was out. This was the, This was a letter written by US Senator Marco Rubio this morning to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. And it said, in part, Dear Commissioner Manfred, I write to ask whether you intend to maintain your membership at Augusta National Golf Club. As you are aware, the exclusive members-only club is located in the state of Georgia. Last week, you decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star Game from Atlanta because of Georgia's revised election law. It is a decision that will have a bigger impact on countless small and minority business owners in and around Atlanta than the new election law ever will, and one that reeks of hypocrisy. Will Major League Baseball, now in its engagement with nations that do not hold elections at all, like China and Cuba, Will you end your lucrative financial relationship with Tencent, a company with deep ties to the Communist Party and actively helps the Chinese government hunt down and silence political dissidents? Since Major League Baseball now appears eager to use its platform to demonstrate unwavering support for fundamental human rights, will you cease your relationship with the Chinese government, which at the very moment is committing genocide against Muslims uh, and uh, other regions?" Uh, of course, this will not happen. Nor do I think you'll resign from Augusta. To do so would require a personal sacrifice, as opposed to the woke corporate virtue signalling the move of the All Star Game from Atlanta. It was a, it was a, it was a emphatic response calling on his mm. personal choices of Georgia at a place that would clearly tug at the heartstrings Augusta for an individual in sport. What did you think of that? Yeah. And what's the role of sport? Do you think? To to make
0: statements like this. Look, sport to me, Hachi, is is littered with the examples of, of making statements. It's also littered with examples of failing to act at the time that the that these issues raise themselves under the said sport. I mean, there's a reference in that letter to to China. I mean, look at the way the NBA handled the China situation a couple of years ago. It just went from being the, the world's greatest advocates for equality of all people to just being totally silent on an issue when it got too hard and when it was going to cost many more than the billions that it did cost them. Look, we're not immune to it here in this country. we, we we say the right things, Archie. We always say the right things. But until, like the federal government, for instance, has been saying the right things about equality in the workplace and respect for women, the moment an example is presented in front of the the government or a sports body is the moment I have an issue with many times. And. I, I, I just think there is hypocrisy. And while that's a bit of grandstanding by the uh, by the, the, the senator in question who wrote that letter to the, the commissioner, he, he, there are some relevant points there. It's okay to say things. You've got to actually do them.
1: Well, and there's consequences isn't there. When you make a, a stand based upon uh, human values, you've got to apply that lens to everything you do, I would think. Um, I mean, sport once upon a time was voyeurism and an escape for people's Woes and opinions. It, it can't be in 2021. Society doesn't allow it to be. Society holds you accountable for your decision to play a game in Georgia, if your political or personal or, mm. or values are that you don't support what's going on there. From a from a you know, human rights perspective, I guess in in one respect. But money versus values is the is the balance, isn't it? Because you're right. When when China are involved financially, there's a blind eye turned in global sport to you know, particularly to that country. C- yeah, clearly, to, to clearly the
0: atrocities did. that go on there,
1: to the atrocities that go on there.
0: But do do you think sport should
1: be in the business of making a stand? Like, do you think the MLB made the right decision to move it out of Georgia, or do
0: you think they should say, "Look, uh, it's not our business what happens here in the elections"? It, look again, I've got no drum with anyone doing anything, but but can you can you apply the the logic and the rationale to the Georgia decision across every layer? of Major League Baseball, um, I, I'd, I'd be staggered if you could apply that same rationale and, and get a tick on every single matter. If, you, if you're going to apply it to one set of circumstances that are under your aspirations op- and, and auspices, you need to apply it across all. I, I think you know my views, Hachi. I, I, I tire of of sports people telling us how to be in a certain way. Now, again, I don't want the good that sometimes comes out of the message being sent to a wider group. Absolutely. There, there is a, there is a positive out of that aspect of it, but actors are the same, Hachi. I mean, Hollywood actors have been crying out now for, for, for wanting a voice about equality and, and, and their own world is, is is ridden with, with problems that, that relate to, to well, them not being able to actually act the way they tell people they should act. Although, although they've had a good
1: six so, months, haven't they, Hollywood? Because they've got a more, they've got the ear of the president. Like it's, it's swung their way a little bit, hasn't it, um, society? I, I think it's really interesting. This one, like this, is a real benchmark moment in in global sport. Sport needs to decide how active it's going to be in social policy and its support or otherwise of behavioural standards and political mm-hmm. movements and and all of those things. I, I look at it this way: making this decision in isolation. The risk and reward of it, if you're the MLB commissioner, you can probably make that call every day of the week. You say, okay, I've got a groundswell here of people who are angry. I've got a democratic country. I've got a a president who's up in arms about this. He doesn't like it either, and has said that he wouldn't blame us if we moved the game. We're probably not getting a check, a proper check from the state of Georgia to play there. The comm- This would have been a commercial decision. Are we risking really any money versus do we create some goodwill and a better commercial outcome to move? But then I, then the blowback is what they wouldn't have thought through. That response from the senator is exactly what that mm. would not have been considered in the making of the decision. And they're the types of mm. knock-on effects, I reckon, they are going to happen for global sport from here on. In isolation, yep. no-brainer to move the game. Yeah, do you reckon if they were getting twenty million dollars by ML by the state of Georgia to play there, and were getting a massive commercial deal, do you reckon they would have made the same decision? Or do you reckon it was one of those? No, ones
0: they, where- would have, they would have said, "Let's play the uh, the twenty twenty one game here, and let, let's maybe sign a five year deal um, at the same." rate for for a hundred million dollars and we'll we'll stay here. And and all of a sudden you don't pay as much attention to the problems they've got with that election process. But actually, again it's a, it's part of this conversation. The basketballer Mitch Creek, who is facing serious charges, was initially stood down by the um the NBL, is now allowed to resume playing with these charges pending. I don't want to get too caught up in the, the charges. I I'm a massive advocate of of if everyone is 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 entitled to innocence until proven otherwise. But initially being stood down, then being allowed back into the competition, you, you do own a basketball club within that competition. Take me through that, please. And and it is part of this conversation we're having about sport, saying things, acting, sometimes the way they say.
1: I, I don't mean to dodge the question. I know how this will uh, be perceived by you, but I made it Clear at the start of becoming owner of the league that I didn't want to comment on other players of other teams ever, and even more so that applies here. So I've read the commentary around it. I understand the view. I've understood understood the community um, feedback on it, and it's not our team. It's not our responsibility to. Um, involve myself, and I'd rather keep my my own views private. So I, I accept everyone else's views. I've read the legal complications and the challenges around it with interest, but yeah, I, don't, I don't want to be drawn on it. To be honest,
0: how would you have acted it if it was one of
1: your players? Yeah, I, I have a view on that, but I don't. I don't wish to be. I don't want to. I don't want to be drawn on. It. I don't. I know how that uncomfortable that makes the, the the radio, but it's not our. It's not my or our business at Melbourne United. It's a league and uh, oh. phoenix matter.
0: I would, I would argue it is. If you're an owner of one of the clubs in the competition, you, you've got to stand for something, don't you? Uh, it's, it's our business privately, but it's not mine to say publicly. I, I would argue it might be. I, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not trying to make you yeah, feel uneasy in this conversation.
1: I, I have a view on it. I just, I just think it would be inappropriate to share it. Why? Because we're an owner of another team, and it's, I was very clear that we won't be commenting on other teams or other players along the way. Okay. You put on the agenda for a reason. Do you have a
0: it's, – it's, it's a difficult one, I, um, Because I look at the Jordan Degoe situation, um, and for those who aren't aware, he too is facing serious charges, which which will play out through the courts. He he is allowed to play. The, the AFL has a policy – correct me if I'm wrong – but but they will basically look at every single case themselves and, and make a judgment themselves that, that – that will obviously be made in conjunction with a police investigation or other investigation, and basically it'll be a horses for courses outcome each time. And I think I've represented fairly there, haven't I, what the AFL does on such matters? Is that a fair take on it? Yeah, I think the AFL's
1: view is it deals on a case-by-case. The NRL's view is it's a stand-down, no-fault rule, but the stand-down, no-fault rule happens at at a threshold of the level of the potential sentence. So it right. only kicks in at that level of a potential sentence. As I read and understand this particular matter, even if the NBL had a no-fault rule, the the, the potential uh, consequence would not have been at the level to have triggered that no-fault stand-down anyway. Now, I might have read that wrong. These are areas I'm not an expert in by any means, and that shouldn't be interpreted as uh, defence or support one way or another. Um, yep. It's just that I think each... Each code clearly needs to develop its own policy that deals with these matters consistently, as difficult as they are, in in the most respectful um, manner possible. And yes. the NRL, the NRL have been the pioneers in this, haven't they? Like they've been the ones that have they, they had the most reason to, because they've had the most worst track record. Um, I, I would, th- and, I, and then you've got to get it through your collective bargaining agreement and through the players, and they, they aren't simple yeah. issues to deal with.
0: No. Um, and not easy for and, anyone and lifespan, involved. And again, I'm, I'm just in fact. I'm just again for those people who don't follow this as closely as you and I do, and have had to as journalists in the code. Um, there, there is the, the pushback from the, the playing group too. That, that the lifespan of an elite athlete is, is very small, and sometimes these matters. Uh, very serious matters, c- can take three to four to five years to get resolution on. And that's why they push back on that. But I don't – I'm not going to sit here and claim to know what, what, what should happen in a sporting organisation. And there's um, a legal – I just know there's two different – there's contrasting views on, on whether you should be allowed to play and have the court system deal with it. And and I'm probably more in that camp, I must admit, because, because ultimately the the ultimate judge on, on someone's ways are the courts of – the land. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, as I said, I have a view, but I, I'm I'm not going to share it today. Fair enough. Let's let's get way off that um that the topic again, which we sometimes regularly say on this show. Hutchie, we probably have no idea what, about how to deal with ourselves. We doesn't stop us talking about it. Let's move on to something a little bit like light, lighter, and that being, and, and you you were the first person to really delve deep into this um the, the machinations behind the scenes that went on for three or four years before Bruce McEvaney did what. He was always going to do about this time, and that is, that is choose the time to, to leave the AFL calling situation and the, the machinations of the people left behind. Brian Taylor was one of those people who was, was jostling behind the scenes. And uh, on the weekend just gone, aren't you, on Triple M, had this to say about uh, what had been going on? There's a
1: lot going on between JB, Darcey, and Haim, and myself. We're all battling, and oh, it's not uh, you. You're, you're, to, you're, established. No, you're, you're, you're established.
0: You're established. You're but above it all. I, I've never seen manoeuvring uh, behind <laughs> the scenes like I'm currently seeing, and a lot right. of uh, a lot of bitchiness, sort of
1: uh, associated <laughs> with uh, who's doing what and how good am I going? And he rang me, and he didn't ring me, and uh, so you know, it's it's a it's a little uh, little uh, story in itself. Oh, surely not, Toby. Surely everyone's a bit more mature than that, are they? What's happened? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought
0: so. You're, you've become intrigued by this quick, haven't you? Brian's already – he's already won. He's home. He he's, has, not he? He's in the clubhouse. Wasn't that with Brian on the weekend, Hutchie? It was not happy on Monday of this week, the um, Easter Monday game at the MCG. We, we were doing our thing as we do in the Triple M box, and BT just barged in with a, a live camera and just started asking us questions. Now, we're in an ad break. So, in that regard, it didn't matter. But I think you need a heads up when the a live cameras coming nah, into was, a, a radio box, don't you?
1: It was good television. It was it was good promotion for everyone. Um, I, I, I saw it. I thought it was good. I thought it was harmless. Well, you didn't take offence at that, did you, Damo?
0: Well, I, I know how he would have reacted if we put a camera oh, in oh, his 7 up, Studio. Turn it up. It well, was, how do you think? How do you think he would have reacted? He's, he's the
1: TV camera is. Allowed to go anywhere it wants in the venue. We all work for the television network, who provides a check to the game. If, if the seven want to walk in the triple M box or the S C box, or any box they want, in whatever time they want, demo they're entitled to. It. And only
0: you could get offended at that. Only you. Well, there's no more. Um, he, 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 he obviously wants to do it because there's clearly no more roaming Brian this year. Which I was, I was always looking forward to that. On a, after a Friday night game. Hang on a minute. What do you mean? There's no more roaming Brian. Oh, I haven't seen. It. Correct me if I'm wrong. What do you mean? Hang it. on a minute. Whoa, you buried the lead. Hang on.
1: What do you mean? There's no more Roaming Brian. It's the best segment on television. How, what do you mean oh, there's no so more too. Roaming
0: Brian? Well, again, maybe I'm going to retrace my steps. I reckon I've seen most night games this year and, and I, I have not seen Roaming Brian. Um, have you seen Roaming Brian this year?
1: No, I haven't, amateur. Mitchell. Are you hmm. saying, do you think that because he's arrived in the chair, he's retired the roaming gimmick? Is that what you're saying? You're saying he's shed the roaming skin. He's
0: too good to roam. Oh, I, no, given given he tried to, and I should think actually did do, patent the actual name Roaming Brian as his own oh, listed name. He didn't patent I don't think it, <laughs> it would be his decision, Hutchie, if, if indeed it
1: has been scrapped. So you are saying that he's now because he's now the front man, he's now uh, desk Brian and not roaming Brian, and they don't want to uh, belittle the the brand of the main guy by having him wheel through the. Oh come on! No, no, this was no, an I unintended consequence. I don't claim to
0: know. I don't claim to no. know why, but all I know is all oh. I know is I haven't seen roaming Brian this year, and and. I did see a roaming camera the other day, but it wasn't roaming Brian. It was done in a pre-match, guys, I on Easter Monday.
1: You must have got this wrong. Surely it's a COVID issue that they can't go and come and go from the rooms or something like that. Like it, surely, Damo, the roaming Brian hasn't been retired, and he did roam the radio boxes, so that's a version of roaming Brian. So I would think you're off the mark here because, uh, knowing well, okay. Brian, he would okay, want to okay.
0: do well, it. Okay. Well, look, maybe our listeners have seen it this year, and if they have, we'll we'll factor that into oh, our conversation okay. about it next week. But but. I haven't seen it, Hachi, and we are now three rounds into this season. You know what you're doing here? You're poking the bear. You, this is a bear you don't <laughs> want to poke. I'm just, I have not seen as, running Brian. You you seeing my
1: highlight
0: of Friday night as, coverage.
1: As Lewis Martin said on our breakfast show recently, he's, for the most part, a cuddly bear, but occasionally he can be a grizzly bear. You are grizzly bearing him here. This is unnecessary <laughs> provocation of Brian. I'm, I'm, I stand with Brian is my hashtag. I am a hundred percent with him on this. <laughs> stand if, he, if he would roam, if he was allowed to, it's his microphone, well, and he'll roam if he's allowed to. I, I don't well, for that's... a minute.
0: I don't for a minute accept he's choosing not to roam. No, I, I'm not saying he's choosing not to. I'm just saying he's not roaming. He'll roam. He was. He went over. He had a go at
1: Holy Molly. He went to LA. He was international roaming there for a while. But he'll he'll be back. I reckon. I reckon you've overplayed this, and uh, I, don't, I can't imagine let's, that's
0: going to go over well. Let's get to the question of the week. On the sounding board, it's our question of the week for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to drink, choose to Drinkwise. It comes from Josh Larwood on Facebook uh, this week. Uh, He loves the podcast, Touchy. Got a quick question for you guys. Being so early in the season and Dangerfield getting suspended, which makes him ineligible for the Brownlow, do you think umpires will be hesitant to give him votes during games, being afraid it would be a bad look for the AFL if an ineligible player scored the most votes or even have the mindset of he can't win, why vote for him? It's a fantastic question from Josh, a fantastic question. And no matter what any umpire wants to say about uh, judging that game impartially, fairly, I have no doubt, Hachi, to Josh's point, that's in the back of every single umpire's mind that votes to Dangerfield are wasted votes.
1: I would think it's about an extra 20% tax on him, is how I would put it, Josh. So I reckon if... He gets uh, thirty possessions. It'll be judged like he got twenty-four, it's a or twenty-five. I guess is a whatever the whatever the twenty percent is. <laughs> twenty-four. I was right in the first <laughs> one. Um, it'll be 25. one of those. It'll be one of those things where he'll have to play exceptionally well. It'll be in the back of their minds, and there'll be a little bit of a, you know, you went against this type routine. So yeah, it's a great question. I think you'll still poll votes. Will he poll thirty votes? No. Will he poll fifteen or twelve? Probably. My over and under on him would be about 14 votes for the year.
0: I've got a view on on, on this uh, now, Hutchie. I, I still think he should be eligible for the Brownlow for any suspension because I think the the penalty in missing the matches and in Dangerfield's case, he's missing three matches. No, no one is going to dare suggest that Dangerfield is an unfair player. Yes, he was responsible for an act on a footy field which hurt his opponent on that particular occasion, but I don't think anyone could have said there was deliberate and, and intentional malice in the actual act, the penalty of missing three matches. There's potentially nine Brownlow votes that he cannot get if he's good enough to win it after missing three games and still being a fair player. I, I think he should be eligible. Gee, well,
1: I didn't realise we're going to end up being ABC's the offsiders before we finish today. But thanks very <laughs> much for your insight there. Really, really appreciate that. It's not white. I'm not giving up my hour at five o'clock on a Tuesday night just so you can talk tribunal hearings and Brownlow eligibility. Come on. We've got <laughs> enough of that day today. we been trying to Sorry shed that skin that, for five it. years. Seven years. <laughs> Sorry about uh, that. In fact, I'm calling it a date. That's the end of the run. If you're gonna, you, can, you can go and ring Rowan Conley and have that debate for all I care. This has been the sounding board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to The Sounding Board Podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email the sounding Board at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to DrinkWise.